Hello and welcome to Talking Triple Crown, part of the Kickout 299 Network. I'm Jessie, whose pronouns are she, her. I'm Alicia, my pronouns are she, her. And I'm Rachel, my pronouns are they, them. And today we have a very special guest, Dr. Jonathan Foy. Hi, yeah, I've I kind of already blown my first cue here, but um, yeah, thank you again for uh, inviting me to be on here and to talk about the Budokan. It's kind of one of those shows that we've been anticipating forever, so good to be back and good to have the chance to go over it again. A massive episode coming up for you today, as we have a lot to get into, which includes the big Budokan show. So let's get to it. We kick off September with Yoshi Tatsu defeating Ryu Inoue in 7 minutes and 48 seconds. No one has anything. It's a Yoshi Tatsu match. I think we all like Ryu anyway. Cyrus defeated Black Mensa Rain Izanagi in 8 seconds. One double lariat and Cyrus got the pin. Black Menzo Rain and Izanagi demanded another match. This one lasted a bit longer at 3 minutes and 35 seconds, but Cyrus still came out on top. I do kind of like this weird team of Black Menso Ray and Izanagi. They got destroyed, but at least they tried. They tried their best. Uh, I did really like the moment where they dodged a move by Cyrus and celebrated like they won the match. It was very cute. Yeah, when they're working together, I definitely enjoy them the most. This, I, the moment where they were begging for another match was actually really funny. Their comedic timing in their like voices projection is actually really really good and I really like Izanagi's voice just in general um but yeah that was really funny to me and the whole match I mean it it is what it was it was a Cyrus squash match and the crowd loves him so it just it works for that reason will I say it's one of my favorite matches far from it but it, it did what it set out to do I wrote down that the comedy wasn't hitting for me here and mm. I can't remember because granted this feels this match feels like it happened three million years ago but I feel like the crowd this is like one of those weird matches where like the crowd wasn't as into what Cyrus was doing as they've been on other shows so I just feel like Mm. the experience wasn't like great for me that's what I remember I don't know if that's necessarily true now recording this on September 27th but that's what I remember from um the match but yeah this like I, I get what they're doing. They got to get these guys on the card either way, whatever. But um, yeah, just not my favorite match on this first uh, road to show. Up next, Hikaru Sato and Tajiri ended in a 10-minute draw. Tajiri frustrated the hell out of me in this match. He just wouldn't get in the ring for the longest time, only coming back in to break the pin and then out of the ring again. At one point, he even took a seat next to a fan. I'm just like, get in the ring and wrestle this bloody match. The MVP of this match was the lady in pink who looked terrified at one point when Sato hit Tajiri on the outside. I'm a big fan of hers. <laughs> I actually thought this was like, like, it kind of blew my mind that Tajiri went to a draw with Sato. Like that was like mystifying to me, but like, 
I don't know, Tajiri is like kind of funny. Like the, it was like very classic Tajiri clownery at the outset. Again, with that like sliding in and out of the ring, he's like wily like that. So it, it didn't like necessarily bother me. I just thought it was like standard Tajiri comedy spots. And then you had like the grappling mixed in, which was fine. I just couldn't believe that they went to a draw. He's not exactly the most protected guy. And so it's very strange to see him not eating the pin in this one. Yeah, for sure. It's not my least favorite draw this month. So there is that. Um, but no, I, I actually thought this match was uh, fine. I actually thought Sato and Tajiri had a pretty good amount of chemistry. So that was fun. And um, yeah, Tajiri's sort of, I think Wiley is the best term uh, that Alicia used there. He's a little slimy. It's, it's enjoyable. But yeah, the, the draw definitely did take me by surprise. Takao Amore, Suji Shikawa, and Yuma Oyagi defeated Shoto Oshino, Riki Honda, and Sega Tachibana in 12 minutes and 17 seconds. I do like that one of the matches I got a ton of build, and probably the most when I think about it, is a tag team title match between Get Wild and Oshino and Honda. I'm loving pissed off old man Amore and Honda who just love to piss Amore off. This was definitely one of the better matches of the day. I think everyone did pretty good. Suji and Honda had some nice moments. And I did love the end when Suji and Yuma were acting like Amori. And the smile Amori had at the end, it just made you smile. Yeah, I agree. This one was a big, big highlight. And again, to your point, Jesse, I mean, this really was like, we're going to talk about as we get closer to Budokan, how disjointed a lot of this stuff felt from what actually happened at the Budokan and how we sort of lost, I think, the plot that we had been going with like all the way through into September and then suddenly the things that like have been happening in story weren't happening for Budokan and all that stuff felt really weird but the one consistent thing is that we have this build between Omori and uh, Ashino and Honda and what happens between Honda and Omori is like the thing that makes it so worth it in the Budokan that long-term storytelling with them but irregardless this match was fine like the bullying between Takao and Ashino and Honda works super well like Omori is just in like big like super pissed off veteran mode at these guys like he won't even let them get in the ring without like you know being aggressive with them and like that's really fun Yuma is so obsessed with like teasing over the sunglasses he's just like really silly and that like works I think it's also really funny that like Honda always tries to get Takao to flinch and he never gets Takao to flinch like Takao never like gives him an inch in that way and it's really funny um so yeah like this just works it's like really nice build up to their match in the Budokan and I'm just like really excited to get to the point where we can talk about that match so I might defeated Dan Tamara in 12 minutes this was a 12 minute Dan beat down but he did get his chance to shine Suama did not take it easy for a second. His elbows looked nasty and same with his suplexes. And of course, a chair came into it. And I have to mention the slide out of the ring by the referee to catch the chair away was so smooth. I loved it so much. Um, Suama got incredible height on his backdrops. They were like really amazing to look at. And Dan not refusing to go down to Suama's lariat and in the end dropping Suama with one of his own was such a nice moment. Dan is such a student of Suwama and it came across in this match. And like you said, it, it's just a total beat down of Dan, but through these exchanges, like it's just, it's just good effort from Dan. He looks really good. I'm really happy with like his progress um, in these singles. I'm sad that it's not necessarily building to where, um, well, it might, I'm not really sure, but I, we were hoping that it would have built to something between them for Budokan, right? Something with like, you know, a little bit more of a destination in mind. And we haven't really seen that yet, but Dan, every time he gets in the ring with Suwama shows that he's more 
more than capable of standing, you know, in going toe to toe with him. And I think that's important. And hopefully we'll see some payoff on that later on. But I, I think it's just going to be sort of like an unresolved slow burn effort for Dan until we see that payoff. And I'm just going to be very hopeful that we do see the payoff. Yeah, I think you said it perfectly. Um, when this match came on, I, I didn't look at the cards in advance. The matches all surprised me. So when this match started, I was sort of like, how many times have we seen this? So Alicia's point towards sort of the aimlessness feeling are it's, I mean, it, it's felt, but um, the actual match itself can't really be denied. It's a good match. And uh Dan just has a lot of heart and is just a really compelling baby face against Sawama. And as we go through the month and talk about AJPW mania, I think we could easily bring Dan back into the picture um, in the coming, the coming months. And that would be really, really nice. So I still have some hope there. That's, that is for sure. Enter Mihara, Rising Hayato and Tiger Mask defeated Jake Lee, Asuki Yoyagi and Hokuto Amore in 21 and a half minutes. This was fine, but compared to the other six-man tags we've gone recently, it was pretty much a downgrade. And even though I'm not a fan of Tiger Mask, I will give him props for attending every show this month and giving some build to the ASCII match. Uh, there was a bit where Jake just carried Haito around the ring before dumping him, which was funny. It was just like, why are you carrying this man? And you just dump him on the ground. It made no sense, but it made me laugh so much. Yeah, to your point, Jesse, like, what, what really made me sad about these, like, row two shows this month is that the row two shows and the six mans this year for all Japan have been like there has been no competition in my mind between the other major promotions and all Japan like that's been the caliber of all Japan's house shows and some of these like major you know six man um even like 10 man type of tags like that that's the caliber of these um these shows and these tags that they're they're excellent and we have excellent wrestlers and like it's it's worth it to tune into these shows and smiley made the point a couple episodes ago that you should always tune in to um these house shows because you never know what you're going to see during them however on some of the most important row to shows of the year leading into the budokan which we've been talking about non-stop all year these shows just felt really flat and these six mans just like were not of the same caliber and it's really surprising that these fell so flat when they shouldn't have like the energy was just really weird and I don't really know what why that was I don't think I'm the only person that felt that way I know Jesse you kind of felt that way I know Rachel too from like um our conversations and John will have, will have to get your opinion on some of that stuff as well but for me definitely kind of a bummer because these are some of my favorite people but I wasn't really feeling it for what I can say that I liked of the match Kento was a bastard. Um, he was like, <laughs> Kento was in the mood to just scream and scream and scream. He was so loud about um, directing Naruto. And that's like always super entertaining. So, so yeah, it. like that was great. Like Jake having to run over and like kick Kento off the apron to make him stop screaming Hayato over and over and over again. Good stuff. Classic comedy stuff. It's amazing how Kento can just work the crowd too, because he was like popping the shit out of that crowd with some of the stuff that was like coming out of his mouth. And like, what's making me laugh personally is that I have this written down in my notes, like probably three times, but um, I think about Captain Lou saying all the time that Kento is the true inheritor of Mudo style cussing. And he's correct because like, <laughs> you can always hear very clearly now when um, Kento was calling someone a motherfucker and he called somebody a motherfucker. <laughs> 
Oh, I think it was um, Hakatoa Mori's who got called a motherfucker by wow, Kento I, in this match. I always miss what Kento is saying in these. I, I've heard him throw out little bits of English here and there. For some reason, I don't, I don't know why he's calling to the ref in English, but hearing him say motherfucker is something I've now got to pay more attention to the oh, to so Kento's cute. matches for. He does once, it a lot. Once you realize, yeah, once you realize that's what he's saying, you will never be able to unhear it. It'll be like you will hear it every single time. Once you realize I, that he's cursing, it's it is completely like undeniable. It's really good. And, and to your point, yeah. Jonathan, like he he does say like he has he says a lot of stuff in English. He talks yeah. to the refs in English. He talks to he'll talk to Jake in English a lot, which is really interesting. Um, I'm sure he does it with other people too. I just don't catch it as much um, unless he's talking to Jake for some reason. But yeah, he uses a lot of English phrases, which is really fascinating. I did really like his work with Hayato. I've mentioned it before on this show, but Jake gets to work like a big, like, like a big, like a super heavyweight when he's working with guys like Hayato. And he doesn't like often work like a big heavyweight if he's going against guys in his weight class, because he intentionally does that. But with guys like Hayato and um, with Atsuki as well, he can do that sort of work. And it's like, it's just fun to see him doing that type of stuff. And I did feel like this is the one this was the one time that like Tiger Mask didn't do a bad job. So there's, there's that they found like him and Otsuki found some moments that weren't super clunky in this, um, which is interesting because I have a lot of things to say about their Budokan match. So yeah, there's, there was some little moments in here that were fun, but definitely not to the same level as some of the like truly phenomenal six fans that we've seen this year. I think um that is a point that the all Japan audience for whatever reason seemed to have taken up because if you look at the attendance at some of these shows, um, some of the crowds that you see, some of these arenas, decent kind of healthy crowds that just seemed a little bit more sparse from the little bit of this. I did catch, I was kind of getting ready for the Budokan. So I kind of missed uh, a lot of this stuff and I, that kind of speaks to the, you know, the, the level of interest. I think normally I'm obsessive waiting for the all Japan shows. They don't happen that often. Day two was on the 11th at Totori Prefectional Yonago Industrial Gymnasium Sub Arena. Dan Tamura defeated Ryu Inoue in seven minutes. I will always have a sweet spot for Dan and Inoue matches since Dan was Inoue's first opponent ever. And I think they get better and better every match they have. I agree. This was um, a nice opener. And, you know, Dan is, if you remember, we talked a lot about is Dan getting to a point where he's starting to look on par with some of his peers, right? At this point, he should be looking better than Inoue, right? He's a little bit more, he's, he's rather he's ahead of Inoue. He should be looking better than Inoue. And I think that he is getting to the point where he is now. So you're starting to see the disparity between him and Inoue. And I think that's a good thing. It's a very good thing. You definitely want to sort of build them into being rivals. Because to your point, Jesse, uh, being a debut opponent, for you know a young young star is a big deal and you know them both being young they could nurse that and build that into a rivalry so having that distance between them as Inoue tries to like close that distance there's a lot of compelling things that you can do with those two and I think they're both really good and really talented so I'm excited to see more from them. Black Mesa Ray and Izanagi wrestled to a 10-minute drill Another day, another 10-minute draw. The two wrestlers who are more on the comedic side, this was surprisingly competitive, I thought. The way that I phrased this to Rachel is that I, I feel like sometimes the 
because we see them wrestle together a lot, sometimes I feel like the Black Men So Right is an Aki matches are becoming like wrestling purgatory for me. They just <laughs> feel like they happen constantly and they're the same thing almost every time and they don't end. However, I did love Black Men So Right doing like the Jinsei rope walk in this. That was kind of nice. But, you know, again, like uh, not, that I, not that I don't like comedy stuff. I do like comedy stuff. Like anyone that's listened to this for any amount of time knows that like there's very little kento can't do to pop me but um for some reason this like this brand of comedy match doesn't always hit for me and it's probably because it feels just somewhat more repetitive for me so just doesn't work for me sorry i was yeah i was in purgatory <laughs> i i really didn't enjoy any moment of this match i really really didn't i don't know it just wasn't for me i did like the prayer walk that was good yeah it, i liked that they were competitive I guess like they're just really it felt like that match dragged on forever and it was only 10 minutes and that really just says a lot but you know um they're building it's kind of a storyline at this point so I can deal with it to that end. Jonathan how do you feel generally about like the booking of these lower mid-card guys like mm-hmm. Black Menso Ray and Izanagi this year do you have any opinions about what their year has looked like? I um I really hate to be negative toward all Japan anything um but I honestly feel like the word purgatory it gets thrown around a lot but it's a nice descriptor here like they had something going for Mensure at the start of the year with his involvement as far as like the Gaara TV title picture went and as far as some of those kind of bouts went and mm-hmm. it honestly feels a little bit to me at least that he's lost something booking wise um I'm not personally a big fan of the gimmick anyway he's a great wrestler and i think he was on the all japan roster under his given name a while ago and i i'd rather see him uh, as nakajima i think that's his his last name i think it's one of those mm-hmm. things where i don't no, i don't know why I, th- I feel like um the gimmick doesn't necessarily add that much at this point and it might even be dragging him down that little bit um is an i always like uh i guess i i quite enjoy seeing his work even though uh purple haze isn't around anymore i'd like to actually see him get a chance to do something um anything at this point yeah i completely agree it's just been um it's been tough it's hard you know i don't when i sit down and i watch all japan all japan is now the the only promotion that i have the time to sit down and watch start to finish and so i like to be as engaged as i can be for every single match especially because we record shows like this so i like to have notes on all this stuff but i found that over time it's been like more and more difficult for me to sit through some of these like black men so right is black hole matches because they're all the same and they lead to nowhere and that's what's i don't know if that's unique to all japan you know, I'm, I think that we can probably talk about other promotions where we see the same thing, but it's so specific to just like a, like a handful of guys in all Japan that you just have to wonder if there's something more that can be done with these guys. And I mean, um, like they don't need to be world champion kind of caliber. They don't need to hold the triple crown or anything in particular, just giving them some kind of storyline even, or at this point, I, I thought Izanagi's, uh, title win in terms of the junior title like even that that was some time ago now I kind of faded into the background but I I thought that that could have been something that could have led somewhere mm-hmm. yeah it's a shame Sato and Black Men So Ray had a fantastic match for the world junior title and mm-hmm. then you have that like one pop of brilliance from 
Black Menso Ray, like he clearly can go. He's clearly a fantastic wrestler. And it's not that he's not a good wrestler when he's doing like the normal Black Menso Ray stuff. I don't want to be that disparaging of him. It's just that when he's doing these like, you know, 10 minute comedy bits in like, again, the, the you know, black hole of, of lower mid card wrestling, it just seems like, you know, I, I can't tune into this in the same way, but if he's wrestling with Sato like that, then certainly that's where my interest would be. Yoshitatsu and Tajiri defeated Almighty Inoue and Lothar in 13 minutes. This went too long is all I wrote down for this. So, <laughs> Cyrus defeated Hokuto Amore in six minutes. I liked Amore's approach to this match. He was very sneaky, crawling under the ring and using his speed. I really like how he baited Cyrus out of the ring and sprinted back to get the count out win. Unfortunately, it didn't happen, but I still thought it was a good approach. I thought some of this was a little bit clunky in execution. And this was actually, maybe this was in my notes, I have that the crowd wasn't as hot for Cyrus as others have been. And I thought that Omori seemed to actually struggle with crowd control in this one. I just think that there was something about this that was just a little bit off, but I thought it was just okay overall. I think Omori has had, um, or will have other matches on this tour that we can talk about, certainly. Takao Omori, Suji Shikawa, and Jake Lee defeated Shoto Oshino, Riki Honda, and Sego Tachibana in 11 minutes and 53 seconds. This was honestly just more of the same from day one, except they swapped out Jake for Yuma. So I've, uh, I've talked about this in the past. I'm on constant Jake and um, Shotaro watch and just waiting for the day that that like clicks and then they just suddenly have the rivalry that I envision for them. I actually think that they worked really well together in this match. And that was a high point of this match for me. And uh, there was some like, there were some good moments here. There really wasn't much, but you know, I loved again, Omori, like he's just constantly picking a fight with Shotaro and Honda and that's great. But again, I think the high points of this were really Jake and Shotaro's work together. Um, But overall, just a disappointing six man compared to the level of six mans we've gotten this year. So Ama defeated Hikari Sato in 12 and a half minutes. The outside brawling in this match was insane, like maybe even a bit too much. There were chairs everywhere, guardrails being thrown. It was just voodoo murders crap. My problem with this and yesterday's single is Suama has probably the biggest match of his career coming up and he's stuck doing single matches instead of building towards it. I thought it was weird how there's no voodoo murder members for him to tag with before uh, the show because like they're always there except for this tour. I completely agree with you that's and I think we were talking maybe we talked about this in the last talking triple crown leading into this tour but it's really bizarre that no one from voodoo murders was booked to be with Suwama and this is another match where like the purgatory feeling kicked in because we never got Suwama and Sato we only had that one match and then all of a sudden we've gotten them like what like what like twice in the last couple of weeks three times in the last couple of weeks it feels like we've gotten them quite a bit so I don't know why we had to run this again, especially because we don't know if this is really leading anywhere in particular. And it it looked a lot like the last match um, stylistically, which is because that's, you're not going to get a lot of variation with the VDM style. But I did think that the crawl, like the, rather the, the crowd brawling was really brutal. And Dan, like having to chase them around looked, you know, crazy. I can't believe that Sato picked up the guardrail and they were like guardrail battling in that tiny venue. Like they're nuts. That ref that is like that I always pinpoint as like the source of voodoo murders issues did try to restore order at points. So I appreciated that. Um, but again, like I I didn't not enjoy this match because I love Suwama and I love Sato. So like whatever. But 
Um, I don't know that we needed this match. <laughs> like we didn't learn anything new. There was no way that Suwama wasn't going to go over this close to the Budokan. And it just kind of made me a little disappointed that Evolution didn't have like a VDM specific angle at Budokan. I'll talk extensively about where we left Evolution at the Budokan and why that ended up being completely and totally fine forever. But <laughs> this like just was really weird. I don't know, leading up to Budokan. I don't, I don't really understand it. Jonathan, do you have any thoughts on sort of the booking situation here and the uh, suspicious lack of voodoo murders? It may just simply be that with all the kind of pulling out everything and kind of planning that went into the Budokan, that for a company of this size, that maybe that was where all their attention was. And it was kind of that vibe of, oh shit, we've got a show to put on. And um, I, I think that, in terms of the voodoo murder stuff, it's um, it's a shame because I think hopefully they are going somewhere with this with Dan. Um, I think it was a nice moment. We'll talk a bit later uh, about that, about his moment at the Budokan. But I, I do hope that there is something more that they have in mind uh, for him here. Enter Miyahara and Tiger Mask defeated Yuma Oyagi and Aski Oyagi in 17 minutes and 40 seconds. Two Tiger Mask super fans were in the front row decked out in the entrance jacket and mask. They were just so fun. I'll be honest, I didn't care for this at all. I thought the show was really dragging. I just wanted this main event to be over and didn't help that yesterday's show wasn't great either. Yeah, I had the same experience. I remember like messaging Rachel and being like, this is the first time all year I've just wanted a show to be over so I can go do something else with my night, which sucks to say. I don't like being that negative about the stuff that I'm watching, but I didn't like this match at all. Like there was really not a lot of high points for me. Like nothing was that exciting. And I felt like poor Atsuki, like his his reward for this program better be becoming champion because there's not a lot for him to do other than show up and like do his spots well. So yeah, such a bummer. Yeah. Nothing really to add. I did think that those two super fans were my favorite tiger masks in the arena at that moment, but yeah, no, it was, um, it was just sort of a drag. And um, my highlight really was Kento just leaning into that bit and screaming tiger over and over and over and over again. It's just his commitment to the bit there was really, truly admirable. And I'm, I'm really enjoying it. Day three was on the 15th at Hodogaya Public Hall. Before the show, All Japan held a 10 bell salute for Goro Surumi, who recently passed away. He wrestled for All Japan on and off between 1972 and 1990. Rising Haito defeated Black Ray and Izanagi in just under six minutes. I thought this was pretty fun to open the show. Haito got a double pin after a line saw on both Black Mensa Ray and Izanagi. I unironically really liked this match. I thought it was really fun. I, I liked it, especially in the beginning when Hayato was just sort of posing on the apron while the others two had a singles match behind them or behind him. And I thought that that was absolutely brilliant. And I honestly, for a moment, wanted them to wrestle another 10 minute draw behind Hayato where Hayato just sat there for 10 minutes straight just posing for the camera and looking pretty and I would have really enjoyed that because Hayato does a very good job at posing and honestly I really liked his character all match I thought um, he had that sort of blase attitude like fine I guess I'll go in the ring and wrestle and then he just immediately murdered the guys so it was and and it was just really good and I liked uh, the double pin I thought it was very cheeky so it was, it was really good character work from Hayato and really just made him interesting and fun to watch and I liked it 
I feel like even though a lot of people give him his props, he's still underrated somehow. Like he is uh, one of these guys that's just been on fire this year. There was a great tag match uh, earlier in the year that he was a part of that a few people listed as their match of the year with him teaming with Kento. I went to a a time limit draw, one of those again. And um, yeah, I just think like between that and them giving him a character, it's just been great to see them finally kind of get behind him here. Couldn't agree more. Cyrus defeated Yoshi Tatsu in seven and a half minutes. I'm just going to say it. It is my least favorite Cyrus match. I thought the Amore and Bakumoto Rei Izanagi was better. This was fine. It is what it is. I, I am utterly uh, just shocked that you didn't like a Yoshi Tatsu match. <laughs> <laughs> this is a, a podcast of Yoshi Tatsu fans. What are you, what are you talking about, Dr. John? We're all in the Yoshi Tatsu kingdom. We're all members. See, that, that was fantastic that storyline where they had him in this little self-contained bubble and i really wish they would get back to that and (laughs) bring those guys back who are not in all japan right now for some reason isn't he technically still sort of in his own bubble they released like a set of stickers with all their factions and uh the members before the budokan and and yoshitatsu was still sort of hanging out in his yoshitatsu kingdom but that's all like weird though, because they also had Jake is still totally clips and that's dead. We'll talk about that. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Can't go by the stickers. They're liars. Yeah. Well, if we remember that episode you guys uh, recorded about no affections, there's still a one member faction with Go Shirozaki. NMU, in baby. <laughs> yeah, so that, I... that one no one can take away from us. No. <laughs> that... <laughs> nobody that'll come into play one day i hope i i, I truly hope jake lee yuma oyagi askiyagi and hokuto amare defeated shochari shino riki honda sega tachibana and yusuke kodama in eight minutes and 59 seconds i really liked this match i thought it was one of the better ones of the month there was tons of fun yuma trying to give jake a main event shirt but him just pointing everybody to the ring he didn't want to wear it hokuto basically like unrobed jake just for him to put on the shirt, and he did, and it looked great. He was finally wearing some color. Many photos were taken of that moment. All four men of the main unit going for Jake's D4C was fun, and the quadruple dropkick spot from GOA is always on my favorites of the tour. This was definitely um, one of the better matches of the tour for sure. I don't understand why the Jake Ashino matchups were so good when the stakes were so low like there's nothing going on between them and yet I think that like they're like what was going on between them like their interactions here were better than like even what we saw in like champion carnival and I don't know why but like this this was hitting for me here more than it's hit in the past I guess I don't know but that was one of the more enjoyable things um for me because I'm still always hoping that that's going to take off one day yeah I'm glad that we got the shirt finally I think every Otaneki for all Japan like took a picture of that from every angle which is great yeah that was really nice I don't know why he's so withholding about the shirt when that's his unit now he's Hongtai but um it's nice that he put it on and we got that yeah the D4C moment was really cool so yeah it's just really nice to see like the others like they're very dedicated to the clear leader in Jake and setting up those moments with him which is really really nice but yeah, I think like the standout for me in this was actually those moments with Jake and Ashino. If I'm going to recommend this match to you, it's going to be because of that. Do you think that they might just be feeling some big match pressure to like 
have this high stakes rivalry where in these matches, they're just sort of having fun working together. Because I know in the past, we've also talked about them just clearly liking working together, but not being able to get to the caliber that we would want or expect from them. So do you think when the stakes are low, they're able to just sort of tap into what is fun? Or do you think that there is actual like a heat and tension in these matches that you, so what I'm getting at is, do you think that they're able to sort of get that chemistry that you're looking for because the stakes are so low? Or do you think there's just something else sort of missing? It's hard to say. I mean, I think that like, I always, and this is not to be disparaging of Jake. I think anyone that's listening knows that like, it's very unlikely that I'm just going to be like randomly disparaging of Jake. But like, (laughs) I think it's really hard to have bad matches with Ashino. He is just like every, like he just every, it's really just, it's just really difficult to have a bad match with Ashino um, and to have bad chemistry with Ashino. So I really quite understood what what it was. And like for them, because of that built-in story with Jake taking Anfons Tarib from him and starting Total Eclipse off the back of that, there should have been heat there from the beginning. So I don't know why um, that never launched. I have like, I can speculate about why it didn't launch in that subsequent champion carnival. I think there was a lot going on for Jake in the background of all of that, that it would have made it difficult for him as a performer. Mm. There's just a lot going on. That was a very difficult pandemic champion carnival flyer. I think everybody, but otherwise, like I, I really, I really don't know. I can't speak to that. Um, I do think there's something probably too, like if the pressure's off, they can just kind of work and have fun with it. So that's probably what we're seeing, but yeah, otherwise, like I think everything else that my thoughts could turn into are, are purely speculative and are better saved for a different podcast we're going to do eventually. So I'll <laughs> save it. Yeah. Completely fair. Regardless, save it. I agree that whatever we saw in that match, I want more of it. Um, between those two because it was really good I I love this match it was fantastic I think we should extend the bit of GOA looking for their sunglasses before they do the drop kick I think that like at some point they should accidentally leave them backstage and they need like Tachibana to go run and get them and they're just like trying to keep everybody in in the center of the ring while they wait I think that would be good, but no, um, all jokes aside, I really, really liked this match. I thought it was just cute. Had a lot of good, cute character moments. Yuji Nagata, Dan Tamura, and Hikaru Sato defeated Suji Ishikawa, Ryo Inoue, and Takao Mori in 13 minutes. Suji sprinting to the ring with Inoue will always make me smile. I love that moment so much. I thought this was pretty good, and I was very happy that Dan got the pin. Yeah, that's about all I could say, too. I mean, I think that in general, the six mans aren't six manning on this tour but um (laughs) (laughs) but this was this was fine all things considered yeah that's about all i can say minoru suzuki defeated tajiri in eight minutes and 59 seconds this was a lot of limb and mat work hokuto amare came out halfway and took a seat and watched his match and sometimes looked like he was studying suzuki to prepare for their match i thought this was weird (laughs) i think this month was weird but I think that this was weird and at times maybe a little sloppy. I don't know. I didn't, I didn't love whatever was going on there, but I thought that Omori coming out was like kind of funny, but also like highlighted the strangest of him and Suzuki not having a preview tag. Like they weren't like against each other in a preview tag. Like 
Suzuki wasn't a part of like any of like the weird six mans. He was just, you know, in this like match with Tajiri. And so like Omori and the like work he did there with Suzuki was fine. It worked for the two of them. Um, but it just highlighted that strangeness of him and Suzuki not having a traditional preview tag going into the Budokan. So yeah, just weird. That's about as much as I can say about this one. It was just weird. It's uh, it's interesting outside of the <clears throat> the multi-man tag that Suzuki was in where he had that interaction with Suwama and with Kento. We're talking earlier about how Yoshitatsu has this kind of bubble around him. It was almost outside of this match that they built for Amori. I just kind of got the impression that Suzuki was kind of in his own bubble for this run so far. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's fair to say or not, but he just largely was kind of booked on an island for this tour somehow. No, I think that's incredibly accurate. Like, Like they really, he had some yeah like I don't even know how to expand on that because like it's just it's true like he was sort of just like siloed booked in a bubble and you know it we'll talk about it when we get to um Omori's match with him in the Budokan I think that match worked so in that way I'm glad that he was a part of this but just the build to some of this stuff like considering we were going into such an important show and so much was riding on the success of the show. It's weird that the build to a lot of this didn't feel like it. And I guess I'll make the comparison and I'll probably make it again. I'll make the comparison to like the first show back for Noah at the Budokan, which was what, like February, 2021. So much of the shows leading up to that, like you could feel the build in the air. You could feel how important it was. And to be a part of that build was really exciting, right? This did not feel the way that that first Noah back in the Budokan show felt. I don't know if maybe Jonathan, you feel differently or Jesse or, or Rachel, but like, that's my basis for comparison. And they felt like two different experiences entirely. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with that. Um, I, I felt as though we had some good build at points during the, like the, the tournament itself as far as the real road went as far as some of those like matches and kento's promo at the end of uh that with the old japan dance at one point another point the kind of uh the the victory promo at the end of the tournament all that sort of stuff seemed to build nicely to the budokan and then something just kind of fell off and i think it was just them maybe going well we've got to book some shows uh for the last few bits no real go home angles uh I agree with everything that was said. I already wrote in the group chat, like, the build to this show. So the Budokan has been just so poor. And the promotion for the show has been so poor. Like, honestly, Suji has done the most promotion out of everybody for the show. Noah's show, Back to Budokan, felt so special. It just felt like the biggest thing. And this show for All Japan just felt like another show. It was just like, we have no build for it. Or we have a little build maybe for the uh, tag team, but that's it. Oh, it just frustrated yeah. me so much because it should be so special for them. It's surprising a little bit too, because if you look at the sponsors that they had for this show and some of the money that they have behind them, the budget was there for them to do a little bit more. And I don't know if they focused maybe on local advertising and maybe you could walk through, like generally though, they'll show that on their social media, you know, whenever Noah book a big billboard somewhere, they'll show you on their Noah oh, account, yeah. but believe yeah and it's um you know it's a small company it has uh fumi saito told me at one point the number and i'm I, sorry i just can't remember how many people work for all japan but it's like less than you would think it's like 12 people or something in terms of like full-time employees so that's the whole company and 
I can understand this would be a big undertaking for them. Um, they're getting slammed right now with merchandise orders yeah. and trying to catch up with those, which is a good problem to have. But yeah, definitely, I think um, they were stretched here. And it's such a shame. Like, we're going to talk about this as we get into Budokan and talk about some of the cool stuff that happened with it. But like, you have so many great stories with this um, company and with people like Kento. Like, Kento, you know, we talk about Shuji Shikawa, who was literally like, <laughs> almost like uh when you have to go sell things like for your your class in high school like he was going out with the posters and like going to like you know like doing that work like kento also like um kento is you know his the best self-promoter obviously and um he did a lot of his own little like videos and stuff for his instagram account i don't know if he posted this video on twitter i don't know if he did the cross promotion of it but he has talked about this being a dream, a dream fulfilled for him, a career dream fulfilled. And it's so special. And yet, like, I don't know that that, that stuff was necessarily like honored in the way that it should have been. And of course, like he will talk about it and he's done a great job of like talking about these things, but it just made me sad to see like Kento posting that video of like, he did it like to the to the song, This Is Me. And like, it just was like an extremely Kento thing to do. Um, and then you have like Akira Hokuto, commenting oh. on it and being like I'm so like like she's like I forget like exactly how she phrased her comment but she was like conveying that she was so proud of him and like those are incredible stories that like should have been conveyed I think through the company to people mm-hmm. about like why you should be watching all Japan and I don't know that that was honored all the way through and the build to the show kind of shows that so yeah that's just that's just how I'm feeling it's a lot of feelings and we haven't even gotten to like <laughs> the Budokan yet. But um, but yeah, I just it's strange how um you you phrased it this way, Jonathan, but like something just sort of fell off as soon as we hit September. But this was the wrong time to have your promotion um of the show fall off. Yeah, um, they had a video that played, I don't want to get too far ahead of us uh here, but there was a video that played at the Budokan itself, the live crowd, which was put together by NTV and it had the history of all Japan. And to me, that was a big misstep that they showed that just for the live crowd. I guess it's, there's a rights issue or whatever, but, um, and we'll get, we'll get to that sort of stuff, but that could have been a good thing for one of these shows uh, as they had the go home to the Budokan. They could have had that video play at the end of the night on one of these shows where nothing much else is happening. But I guess logistics and things like that got in the way. Obama and Black Tiger defeated Kento Mihara and Tiger Mask in 22 minutes and 51 seconds. I was surprised this ended with a Suama trigger on Kento. I was sure this would end in a 30-minute draw, but I'm thankful it didn't. Suama destroyed Kento after the bell. This is all the bill they got. It was there. The Tiger Mask plural stuff in this match just looked like hell. There was no <laughs> other way around it. Kento, master of working the crowd, used his trapped hand at one point in like a hold from Black Tiger Mask to signal for the crowd to clap for him. When I think Tiger Mask had him actually in an arm bar and he used his trapped hand to signal for them to clap for him. I thought that was, that was great. I'm such a mark for him. It's annoying, but um, (laughs) it's, it, it is what it is. This was what it was. I thought that Kento needing to be carried out was peak drama. That's really all I can say for this. This was certainly a match. It's really funny that we waded through purgatory of uh, Black Mensurei and Izanagi just to get to uh, Black Tiger and Tiger Mask in hell. So that's a beautiful <laughs> imagery that you painted for us, Alicia. Um, no, I, I 
this match was, uh, yeah, I think you summed it up. It was, um, it was a build. We did, in fact, get a little bit of uh, Suwama and Kento, and that was, you know, important. And uh, the ending was suitably dramatic and led up to the Budokan. And that was probably the most, like, real storyline that we got other than, as uh, Jesse mentioned, the uh, tag matches that uh, led up to Get Wild versus GOA. Day four was on the 18th at Nippon Budokan. I know we spoke about a couple of issues, but there is one more I have to get to. So on the first of the month after they took our money, they put out the schedule for September. And next to this show was three letters, V-O-D. The anniversary show was video on demand on AJPW, while on NTVBS, it was live. But it was only live for half the show. The broadcast on NTV started two and a half hours after the show started, and it actually cut out the end of the main event because it went overtime and I messaged Jonathan as soon as I saw this I'm like is there any way to watch this in Australia like I'm desperate to watch this match I think we have to give a shout out here to some people who we know do we name them as far as people who shared it it's actually like it's it's legal gray area this stuff but I think it's perfectly okay um yeah people shared people shared so Smiley shared the NTV um footage which I had some people coming over to watch this show. I had to delay and then they had to delay further anyway. So I went, you know what? I'm just going to do a sneaky watch and just see little bits and pieces of the NTV um, stuff. So I, yeah, I saw a little bit of it as it was happening. And I, I the only th- way you can justify any of this is if the money that NTV are going to give all Japan is such that they're going to be able to fund more of these um, and we can get into all that. Yeah, definitely. That's something that we can discuss for sure. And another huge thank you to Smiley for the work that he does making wrestling accessible to everyone. Before the show started, we got our first look at Evolution Girls. Zones, Sunny, Rin, Hoshino, Otto, Mizuhara, and Chichi. Suji, who is training them, said he wants to debut them at the start of next year. This is exciting. I'm glad that they got to do this at the Budokan. And as someone who doesn't ever have time to watch um, anything than anything other than what I have on rotation right now, I am going to make it a point to um, watch this stuff when their shows are available. So this was cool to see. It seemed like Zones was on some kind of mountain of being over right from the get-go if the Twitter response is anything to go by. Yeah, it's great. She's got a good look. Um, she's really dedicated to using her Twitter and um, sort of talking to people. So she's very determined to get over as well, which um, is always a good sign. I really like that. Chi Chi's very interesting. I like her uh, wanting to be the Barbie of the professional wrestling world. Sunny is very cute. Like they're all really, they all seem like really good girls and I'm really excited to see more of them. So yeah, I'm I'm thrilled to follow this from the beginning. I'm, I'm with Alicia on that one and uh, yeah, it'll be fun. We can have evolution nights and everything. It'll be good. <laughs> It's going to be quite a task for them to get all of this ready <clears throat> in time for January. I think was that where he said he would want yeah. to kick that off. Or I mean, it's I just um, heard next year. Yeah. Okay. It's um. It's going to be a lot to train them from scratch and everything like that. But I think they've definitely put the effort into making this its own brand and to working at this. It's going to be interesting to see how they go doing all this. I just am so excited for this. I've been waiting since 2020 for Evolution Girls, and it's finally here. We finally have trainees. 
you know, I'm fans of all of them straight away. I haven't even seen them wrestle, but they're just so great. This show drew a crowd of 4,780. I think this blew everyone's expectations out of the water. It blew mine out of the water. I didn't expect them to have that many people, but it's obviously great to see. They surpassed Noah in the Budokan, which is nuts. And the only people they didn't beat was New Japan with their G1 final. So that is massive. And um, even then, I think they beat one of New Japan's shows that they've had in the Budokan recently that had 2,000 and something people, just under 3,000. I'm sure that at least part of this just had to be papered. And that's still okay, though, because the company's still getting money from that. There's still sponsors paying for people to sit there and they're still going to get some revenue from this. But it's just, I, I don't think any of us could have had on our bingo card for this year that there'd be but an all Japan Budokan show at the start of the year, I, I had no idea this was coming. And then 4,700, I, I thought 3,500 they would be cheering. Yeah, they, they definitely surpassed my expectations here. Yeah, this number is just really phenomenal. I couldn't be happier about it. Um, just shy of 5,000. It's really, really, really good. Ryzen Hayato and Rhea Inoue defeated Oji Shiba and Yusuke Kadama in four minutes and 18 seconds. For an opener, I thought this was pretty good, and it must be a good feeling for Inoue and Hayato to be the first All Japan wrestlers in 18 years to walk out the curtains of the Budokan. That's super special, and I thought that in particular, like Hayato was getting super comfortable with his new character and his mannerisms in the middle of the exchanges were super entertaining, and everyone got their spots in. I think Inoue also looked really good in this, so super good start. Yoshitatsu, ATM, Tajiri, and Misuyu Nagai defeated Black Mansour Ray, Izanagi, Andy Wu, and Sushi in six minutes. Honestly, this match was just to get everyone on the card and it did its job. Yeah, I kind of think like that at this point, we're kind of having ATM on these shows because he's the major sponsor and because he's really is throwing that money around. Um, I is this this is Carbell Ito, right? I, I yes. enjoyed him more yeah. into that gimmick. I, I've kind of felt a bit like this is just one note and kind of we got or we'd get out of this the first night that we saw him but look i mean this is like you know wrestlemania where they throw out all of these matches to cram as many people onto the card and give them that chance and i was happy that these guys got their, their chance to perform in the Budokan, but this felt like a bit of nothing match to me yeah all i had written down was thank god this was quick and this is certainly to appease ATM, aka Carbell Ito, and um, everyone's got to get paid, so everyone's got to get on the card. Jun Sato, Rei Sato, and Cyrus defeated Suji Ishikawa, Kohei Sato, and Yukio Naya in seven and a half minutes. All Japan was calling this the Saito brothers' triumphant return. It was the first time since the 3rd of January we've seen them in an All Japan ring. They definitely have got a lot better and they look more confident in the ring. I really like their new look. Rei got the win with a massive splash on Suji. So the Saito's coming back in their red, white, and blue getups immediately made me think of Jumbo coming back from training for a year with the Funks. I don't know if that's what they're going for here, but that's how it made me feel. I thought that was like kind of interesting. I don't know. I still think that they're very clunky in the ring, but they have gotten like exponentially better from where they were when they left. And that's the point of going on excursions. So, you know, that's, that's what I'll say for that. Um, They've definitely gotten better, and that's a good thing. I thought that Ishikawa was very generous with the Saitos and Cyrus as well. So this was fine. It did its job, but I was definitely very interested in the new getup for June and Ray. I just that gave me like Jumbo returning from his own excursion vibes. And I thought that was interesting. 
Yeah, I thought about that too. It, it made me really excited. I'm really glad you mentioned it. Yeah, I thought the look was good. The match itself was perfectly fine. But yeah, I think that they wanted to focus on the Saito's coming back and sort of highlight their improvement. I don't really think they're main event ready, uh, which, you know, right now they're a tag team. So they'll be hanging out sort of in the mid to upper mid card. And I think that's fine. They've got a really good look. They've got a really good attitude. And we'll talk about that in a little bit as well. So that's that's sort of my feelings there. Yeah, it was, uh, it was good to see the Booker Man putting them over as far as Ishikawa went, and that was a good finish as well. Um, I think that the only thing here with these guys, it, it's a matter of kind of they're not, you know, I, I, I say this as someone who's a few years older than these guys, but I don't like know kind of them debuting at 36, I think, is going to put a bit of a ceiling as to how long they'll be around for and kind of what they'll end up doing. But outside of that, these guys have a lot of potential and kind of it's been enjoyable to watch. So I'll just enjoy them while I've got them. The All-Asia Tag Team title match was next. Hikari Sato and Dan Tamara defeated Toshizo and Minoru to become the new champions in 14 minutes and 22 seconds. I am just so happy for the Evolution boys. They were finally able to overcome the voodoo murders Dan was great in this. His final comeback to win the match was really good. And when he got the belt, I was just so happy. Sato and Dan celebrating was really cute. And Dan dropping the belt while Nick and Lee was trying to hold up their hands was so adorable. And and for some reason, it was just so Dan, even though he's never held a belt before. It was just so him. After the match, Yusuke Kadama and Sego Tachibana came out to challenge for the belts. So this match was incredible. It really could be, I think, my favorite of the night because of the story. And it's so interesting because, like, this is not the story I think we thought we were going to get out of Evolution going into the Budokan, but then ended up just being the right story. They sort of just walked themselves into it, and it wound up working out perfectly. Yeah, Sato had me emotional, like, right in his first exchange with Toshizo. He kept looking up into the rafters and talking, and he's always talking to Aoki when he does that. And I think that's like, that just like always makes me like really emotional. So you have that, like that running through like the entire match, but that first exchange with Toshizo was also extremely good. Like this match was just really well executed and it was designed not even to give Sato any shine. It was designed to give Dan shine. And that was extraordinary on such a huge stage, right? Their first time back in the Budokan since 2004. Dan looked amazing when he got in with the hot tag. Um, he came in with like, like speed and urgency and he just looked so incredibly confident when it counted the most for him, for him this year. So this just worked beautifully and Dan got to, got to shine in the way that we hoped he was going to this year, just not in the way we imagined, I think, going into the Budokan, but it was all sort of perfect and he has his first belt and it's with Sato. And I think it's just because I've been spending a lot of time with, uh, we just did the Suwama episode. We did All Japan Factions this year. And so we've been spending a lot of time thinking about evolution, but this is really sort of the heart of evolution is stories like this. So to see this on, you know, the biggest stage All Japan's going to have this year, their first time back in Nippon Budokan, it made it that much more incredible and special. And I just loved like seeing Nikon Lee, like pat Dan's head, like after he got the pin, just because like, um, he's so beloved and like, that was just like really special. And then like Sato continuing to like point up into the rafters for Aoki afterwards when they were walking out, all of that stuff made this match, like to me, like the story of the night. Yeah. I had in a, as far as this one went, this was kind of when it felt like what we were looking for from the show. 
that it felt like this was an important Budokan show. And for some reason or another, the matches before this just did not do that for me, but this did. 100%. This is like, and that's why, to our point before about like how the, the promotion sort of dropped the ball in telling these stories, like it kind of fell to the wrestlers to tell these stories themselves, which is fine. That's, that's their job. They'll do it. But I just wish that we had seen more from All Japan with video packages, with like things on social media of like pushing these stories forward to really kind of set the tone for fans going into it. Not just like fans like us that kind of know these stories and know the importance, but new fans too of like, there's a lot of, of um, importance and weight to things like Sato and Dan being the only two members left in Evolution right now, going into the Budokan to challenge for belts. Even outside of all the stuff with Suwama, there's always going to be that meaning and doing it for Atsushi Aoki. So I just wish that there was more stuff done to promote it because um, those stories are uh, what make wrestling worth watching at the end of the day, those human stories. And there's so many human stories attached to the show, but they didn't really do a lot with the promotion of them. I don't know if this was made official or it was just Suwama being Suwama, but he said on Twitter, I think it was, like if evolution loses, they got to split up. I don't know if they ever made that as part of the match or that's just Suama talking crap, but I'm happy, I, I'm happy it didn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> I think he's just talking, but that's, I didn't see he said that. So that's really interesting. Up next, Minoru Suzuki defeated Hokuto Amari in 12 minutes. This was one of the matches I was really looking forward to. And I think it was a lot of fun and did a good job. Amari really took the fight to Suzuki and wouldn't go down easy. There are some great shots of Amore giving Suzuki a look that Suzuki gives people, which I thought was really interesting. I, w- I had so much trouble writing about this match. I liked it, but I couldn't put the words on paper for some reason. Yeah, there was something about this one that I feel like seeing Suzuki beat up the young guys is always like one of those great things. But something for me didn't click and I can't really put a finger on what. Exactly. But you could tell that they were fired up. You could tell they were trying. Um, it was a good match. I felt like I was expecting more somehow. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that was the theme of probably a few of these matches for me, but I did really like this one. I thought like what was very striking to me was watching like Omori's young. He's still young. And what was cool was watching him lean on the ropes after his entrance and waiting for um, Suzuki to walk out. And I was just struck by like, I can't imagine what that must have felt like for him being in the Budokan like that for the first time and waiting for a former Triple Crown champion and a legend in Suzuki to walk out and fight him. Like that must have felt like incredible. So like, again, like those are those really special moments that were a part of the show that I think are really great. I thought they had very fun, like bastard energy. Omori, like he looked like a real like singles wrestler against a veteran in Suzuki. He didn't look outclassed. And I think that's really what the achievement for him is that he like held his own in a, in a match with Suzuki in the Budokan. And I think that's fantastic. So yeah, I thought this was, was good. I just would have liked to see it get kicked up into like the next level perhaps, but otherwise I thought this was good. I'm glad that he had um, this, like, you know, to me, what would be considered like a standout singles match against a former triple crown champion. This was the moment when it occurred to me to that we were dealing with a clap crowd at the Brunicon because no one sang Kaze Nina Re as Suzuki stepped through the ropes. And um, that just felt like that was, you know, missing the slightest bit. And, um, but, you know, I think uh, it doesn't surprise me that much. The Brunicon from 
the couple of times I've been there, it strikes me as like a very strict venue and one that is very traditional. And so I think they would probably seek to be as careful as they can about COVID-19 and everything else. So it, uh, it, it was missing a little bit from the cheering. I can imagine what this could have been with a loud crowd, but it's still, I think did the purpose. And I think still uh, the crowd got into this and Amori stood quite well there. Not a classic banging stretch, but certainly uh, as you suggested there, it's uh, it's definitely good to see um, that he wasn't outclassed here. Yuji Nagata defeated Yuma Anzai in 9 minutes and 9 seconds. All Japan is betting everything on this kid. His debut was at the Budokan. He had Yuji Nagata as his opponent. Even Wada was a referee. On top of that, he had his own theme song performed live. I thought it was a great debut for him. He looked really good here. He got a ton of time to work and show off. His drop kicks and double arm suplex were good. It's not really something you expect from a person who is debuting. And I think Nagata did his job as a veteran perfectly. Yeah, I was thinking that like he got like the whole live music introduction. They should have just let him go over Suama for the Triple Crown in the main event. But <laughs> yeah, I thought this was really, really good. Very, very impressive. It is so clear what this company thinks of him. I believe he's being billed as a student of Suwama, but also Kazushi Sakuraba. Um, and you can see where that training, I think, kicks in when he's going. So that's really cool. It was a really good showing for him. And Nagata did really well with him as well. So yeah, super cool. I'll put it this way. Uh, I was never actually in doubt as to who was going to win this apart from one instance where there was a near fall and I bought it. <laughs> I actually thought that for a brief half second there that he was going to uh, to beat this legend and it obviously didn't work out that way, but I think this is the perfect way to showcase someone. Um, I would compare it to Suwama's debut match 18 years ago uh, in all Japan, I think in terms of how much they gave him and how good he looked and everything like that. And it's appropriate that he got roughly the same kind of uh, push on his introduction as Suwama got all those years ago. Yeah. You can even compare it to like Suwama's first trial match i mean suama got to face vader <laughs> like um like suama like really got the treatment and like you can tell they're doing the same thing with him to be sure yuma yagi defeated christopher daniels in 11 and a half minutes yuma claimed this was his interview match to see if he could get a chance to work in AEW. even though daniels has worked everywhere it was still a surprise to me that this was actually the first match i've ever seen him wrestle yuma was desperate to get a handshake and finally got one after the match I thought this was fine. I expected more from this match, but at the same time, I didn't really know what to expect because I've never seen Daniels wrestle, but it was okay. I thought this was fine as well. And I, and it's weird because like this is like a trend of matches where like I thought that Yuma would have like an outstanding match and we were given a fine match. And I think that's unfortunate. It's We can probably have a, a conversation about the drop-off Yuma has had since... Uh, champion carnival literally not even to champion carnival but literally since losing to kento in that triple crown challenge there's been a drop off for yuma um he's still delivered of course in like those stellar six-man tags and all those different opportunities but like in like his singles matches since there's just been a, a significant drop off for him and i don't know what that is and i feel like that this match sort of continued that but there was parts of this that i did really like i think my favorite spot was actually from christopher daniels he tricked yuma into like uh, hitting himself on the ropes and then when yuma came back off the ropes he came 
I'm, I'm a not a moves guy. Anyone that listens to this podcast knows that I'm, I'm so shit at describing moves. But then Christopher Daniels came off the ropes and like clubbed the back of Yuma's neck. That part looked fucking sick. That was great. They had pretty decent chemistry though. And um, I will say like with Yuma talking about AEW, like I genuinely do hope that Yuma goes to AEW. Not necessarily long-term because I'm a little selfish in that way, but um, I do hope that Yuma gets to go to AEW and perform in front of crowds because Yuma deserves to be seen in front of massive crowds anywhere he wants to go. So I think that would be really neat if something like that came out of this. But yeah, I thought this was just fine. There were some cool spots, but nothing uh, tremendously exciting, at least for me. I think I'm going to have to be, uh, this is one of those matches where I'm, I'm completely prepared to be on an island. I love this one. I'm a Christopher Daniels mark from way back, back when he was in Ring of Honor in 2002 doing that whole gimmick with refusing to shake people's hands back when that was actually a huge thing in 2002. So 20 years later to see him bring that back for just this match and then shake his hand at the end. I, I'm a, a dirty little Christopher Daniels mark. I love that. Um, I, I've met the guy one time before as well, which might serve to explain it. And he's definitely uh, one of those guys who's in his fifties and I think performs well above a lot of his peers uh, in that level. He's lost a step or two along the way, but I still think he did well. I, I like this a whole lot for some reason. I think those two just had some kind of cheeky chemistry. And I think that anytime that you get to see Yuma being a, a prick to someone who will give that right back is always good. And I thought he did that very well. I still love Daniel's uh, performance the next night. We'll get to that. Masanobu Fuchi, Asushi Onita, Shiro Koshinaka defeated Great Kojika, Yoshiaki Yatsu, and Maso Inoue in 11 minutes and 55 seconds. The Great Kabuki came out before this match and did a little performance. The fun facts of this match is all the wrestler ages plus Wada was over 400. It was nice to see these six men get a chance on the big stage to perform. They were all having fun. It might be a bit hard to watch them getting up there in age and they don't move as well in the ring as they did before but it was still nice to see them be celebrated this match was like the best match on the card because of the participants and that's like what I can really say about it like it's just nice that they were all in the ring together I thought it was like really sweet that like Onita got in the ring and immediately hugged Wada (laughs) it was just really cute Fuchi still has it, man. He's just still the fucking best and he's going to be the best forever. Fuchi setting up Inoue to get misted by the Great Kabuki was also like a very good fun spot between those guys. I was really worried about Onita. Um, His leg is not healing from when he got injured back in March. That was worrying to see. And like, like Jesse said, it's like this stuff is really special because it's like these these people who have had such history with all Japan and it's so exciting to see them still able to do what little performing they can do in a ring together. However, everyone is not getting younger. They're just getting older, right? So it's hard to watch them sometimes. And I was telling these guys earlier, but like I got really emotional over the weekend watching Stan Hansen throw first pitch at a baseball game because Stan is also suddenly like older. So it's just hard for those those reasons, but also just really nice that we still have these group of guys that can come back and um, be on cards. Shortly after this, I messaged a friend of mine and just had a pitch for him based out of what we saw from Fuchi on this, which was, I would love to see Fuchi against Kento for the Triple Crown at some point. Like, give them three minutes, have Fuchi throw in the eye rakes and the body slam to the champion, and the crowd will go insane for everything that man does. It doesn't have to be a fancy match or anything. 
have Kento win off a knee or something. It doesn't have to be match of the year, but you'll hear the biggest pop if it looks like he's going to win. Um, that was my little fantasy booking that I took out of this match. I don't know if anyone else uh, was particularly calling for Fuji Triple Crown, but I'd love to see him get one shot at that before he retires. Um, it was a little hard to watch this match at points um, because of how broken down some of these guys are, but it's just good to see them. And that promo at the end was so nice as well to see Fuji get to address the Budokan crowd again. So yeah, I can't complain about that at all. Um, and yeah, like I said, uh, let's get the Fuji triple crown match agenda. It doesn't need to win, but you will hear the yeah. biggest pop if he slams a champion. Let's get a hashtag going because I'm actually really into that and you can give them longer than three minutes. Like Fuji can go, like you can give him 15. That would be sick. That would be really fun. And like, there's no person better for that match than Kento. Kento will make Fuji look like incredible. That would be so much fun. Even if he calls him a motherfucker while he does it. Yeah, especially while he calls him a motherfucker <laughs> while doing that. Yeah. Yeah, get hashtag Fuji triple crown going. <laughs> that would be actually really fun. Kento would bump crazy for Fuji. He would mm-hmm. work his ass off for him. It would be so much fun to see. Fuji and Kento just did like a little, I don't remember what it was for. It must have been Budokan promotion, but like a while ago it must have been back in august but they did like an interview together side by side yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. and like i love watching like kento with people like fuji because he's so he's not kento when he's doing that like he's he's kento but like he's not performing he's very much like, nice kento <laughs> he's very sweet he's very polite and he uses very polite language when he speaks and like i like watching him when he's like that because it's like it's like night and day he's like much more i think closer to his true personality but i loved watching him with fuji so it would just be really fun then to see him in the ring jonathan's got the best idea of the night so far i'm probably gonna have to retire here with giving (laughs) fantasy booking ideas because i think i peaked early there (laughs) up next was a world tag team title match shoto shino and ricky honda defeated takao amore and manabu soya in 16 minutes and 22 seconds soya and amore coming out to the ring in their animal print coats and soya with a wig was amazing but Soya wrestling in his regular Congo gear and no wig was not so amazing. Akira Tawe and Toshiaki Kawada were special guests for this match. For me, this was probably the best match of the night. I absolutely loved it. I thought Amari and Honda were the stars of the match. The last five minutes or so was so great. I was literally on the edge of my seat thinking Amari was actually going to get the pin because a couple of times he looked like he was going to win the match. Honda did get the pin and Tawe and Kawada helped class the belts around the winners. The Sate Twins came out and challenged for the ballots at AJPW Mania. Yeah, there's like a couple reasons why this match like absolutely fucking rocked. Holy Demon Army's role in this the entire time was just so cool. I was laughing with you guys before talking about how like Kawada sprinted out to the ring, left Tawei in the dust. They made Kawada <laughs> limbo into the ring and then Tawei like couldn't get his foot over the rope. So we started off on a weird note, but just them being there and being a part of that was so tremendously special and cool. I loved it. I loved every minute of them being there. And then when you had like Get Wild and their outfits and Soya's commitment to his past gimmick, that stuff is outstanding. I did like him changing into the Congo gear because it wasn't his normal Congo gear. He wasn't in the shorts. He was in briefs. So it was much closer to what he's worn like in Wrestle 1 and like stuff like that, which was like so much cooler. But yeah, this opening exchange between Ashino and Soya made me forget I was actually really sad. We didn't get wild burning. Now I'm dying to like go back and just rewatch all the Wrestle 1 stuff. But like, I really love Ashino and Soya. So like, that was really, really special. We got big match to Kao Amori in this. And 
this was so cool because like Omori is someone who's had a very interesting career. He started off in all Japan, like being looked at as someone who was not going to make it out of the mid card. And then he had a lot of luck with like working with Junakiyama and then working with No Fear with Hakiyama, which was great. And then like, he got like, sort of like cast out from Noah and had like a very interesting career trajectory going back into all Japan and really hasn't gotten, I think the, um, the praise that he deserves for the type of wrestler that he is. So to see him getting so much praise coming out of the Budokan for his performance. And I think people starting to realize the type of performer he is and the type and like how special he is as a performer, that's really fucking cool. And I just thought that all Japan were so smart and how they built to Honda finally getting this pin on Amori. It's like the best long-term booking they've done this whole goddamn year. But they literally have built to this and built to this with Honda not being able to pin Omori, but like pin like his seniors in general. And then finally he gets this moment against Omori um, where it counted in the Budokan in this big match where it needed to happen. And the crowd really made that closing stretch between the two where like the stakes were so fucking high and you could feel it. So that was just incredibly special and it's nice that both tag matches ended with the more up-and-coming partner getting their moment in the Budokan I think that was really the thing that was um most important to me I did notice though that one of Honda's belts has a pretty bad tear in it it was the one that he didn't get put on him it was the one that he was holding so I really do feel like the world tag belts need to be retired and preserved like sooner rather than later I think the reason why they're probably waiting is it's a lot to do with money. The belts are expensive. Um, it's expensive to preserve them. It's also expensive to create new ones, but I was concerned about the tear that's in um, one of Honda's belts. And I hope that the company has plans to um, address that soon. Kind of lied actually earlier when I said that, that Fuji would be my only agenda there. I think um, in terms of uh, this whole thing, my other agenda there, obviously, apart from replacing the tag belts, which you mentioned, would just be a matter of getting this guy out of Noah and back to all Japan. Like I think oh, seeing get wild reunite full time would just be excellent and a good use of him toward the, the latter part of his career. I think. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I love, you know, I love Soya and I love Soya in Noah and I love Congo. Um, and I have some thoughts for you, Jesse, about his outfit change, because I thought it was perfect. <laughs> As Alicia said, and she actually pointed this out to me, he put, he made new shorts so that he could, or briefs so that he could hide them underneath his get wild briefs. So he, he committed to the bit first off, and it was important to him to wrestle as he is now in the Budokan. And that is just very, very important to me. And I love him very much, but no, he, he definitely could trade those briefs right back and um, get treated with some some star treatment that he really does deserve because he was really on a different level and he really deserved, you know, this this moment in the Budokan and this reunion with Ashino. I also want to just go back and watch their Wrestle 1 matches because they're just really great together. They have a really good little rivalry and chemistry. Yeah, just everything you guys said was perfect. I just had to get my bit in there about how much I love Manabu Soya. What's funny too about Soya is that like, uh, like right after this, like Noah's next show, mm-hmm. he was in the opener against a rookie. Everyone does that, right? But like it just, the the juxtaposition between going from get wild with Takao Mori for the world tag belts in the Budokan and then your next show with your promotion that you're signed to right now is just the opener with a trainee. I don't know. Like I just, I think that 
uh, Soya would really benefit from being in all Japan full time. And I also remember from like when we had Smiley on in, um, I want to say January, so like a hundred years ago, he also suggested like BJW for Soya. And like, that would be really cool. I think like it would be cool if he was in all Japan and BJW, but definitely not being utilized the way he should in Noah. Yeah, this match made that perfectly clear. I have a thought in my head. I don't know how to start it though. <laughs> um, it's about the outfits. I wanted yeah. him to wear it in the ring because I wanted Honda to expose that Sawyer wasn't fully with Get Wild. He was still Congo Sawyer. He still had the red hair. Like Honda could like rip off the wig and look like look Amori. He doesn't really okay. care about Get Wild. Don't <laughs> <laughs> man. Wow, that needed to happen. <laughs> Up next was a junior heavyweight title match. Asuki Oyagi defeated Tiger Mask to become the new champion in 13 minutes and 23 seconds. I said on Twitter I was a bit disappointed by the lack of big match outfits and Asuki comes out to save the day. His outfit was all silver and gold, but most importantly, his hair was dyed pink and the audience absolutely loved that. So did I. I'm so happy Tiger Mask is no longer the champion. This match, like the others, was fine. Asuki won, which was the main thing. Everything is right. This was certainly a match. Asuki really did his best. Truly like the most that can be said is that Asuki got to walk away champion. One Ayagi brother in the end had a belt exiting the Budokan and we talked about that for months. So in that way, we got the one thing that we really wanted. So that's that's um, that's super exciting. It's just like, it's, oh man, Tiger Mask just was not the right person for New Japan to send us. And we can probably talk about that later as well i don't know if this is the right episode for it but we will have a a later discussion about the new japan all japan deal so to speak and what that means and what it hasn't meant but atsuki and yuma celebrating with each other and this was so sweet too like yuma's palpable um excitement for his brother winning was just um lovely and again like you have a lot of weirdness to the show because the build was weird so why wouldn't the show itself be weird but then you have these like incredible little stories and one of them being atsuki and yuma these brothers um, who have loved wrestling their whole lives, being able to celebrate in the Budokan and one of the brothers is walking out a champion and that's wonderful. I feel like Asuki just gets it. And at one point, I think I, I, I thought that that um, sort of stood out was, you know, he wore that hood down in the ring so he couldn't see the new hair until he unveiled that. And that kind of had an impact um, in crowd reaction. Um, I, I'm on an island when it comes to Tiger Mask. I don't mind him. I don't mind him being uh, over with All Japan because... You know, if I watch an afternoon All Japan show, usually I'm watching with my son in the room and he doesn't really pay attention that much to wrestling, but you put a superhero on screen with this tiger mask. He looked at it and he told me tiger mask. So he sat there the whole time watching tiger mask stuff. And it's like, he's too young to know that this guy isn't performing as well as these other guys. And kind of, I don't know, I got to watch some wrestling with my son. I can't begrudge tiger mask too much for that. And he did the right thing in the end, putting Asuki over. Um, I think the junior division is going to go up from here we've got some great players in a number one contenders match Nayo Nomura defeated Jake Lee in 43 seconds I think this was very obvious they were running out of time and they had to cut this match short which really was a shame I was looking forward to this match I hope they do get a chance to have a proper match soon but honestly thought this match was be short I didn't think it'll be this short though so I was very surprised I actually don't think that this match went, um, I don't think it was cut. I think this was intentional. I do. Really? I do. I do think that the length was mm. intentional. Um, Smiley pointed out during the broadcast that this is, um, they were doing the playbook of Akiyama and Takao Mori in the 2000 champion carnival. 
I believe Smiley is correct. And so I, I don't, I think that there was some interesting uh, opinions coming off of this match. A lot of people like taking this as like, look what they've done to Jake Lee again. And like making this into like, he uh, like some sort of example of like his status in the company, even though it is so obvious that Jake Lee is the person with the next best year in the company. Um, he's just under Kento in terms of who's had a better year. He's had a better year than the youngest champion carnival winner in Yuma Aoyagi. So there's that. But I think that this match actually worked because it's just continuing what Naoya Nomura is already demonstrating to you since he's gotten back into all Japan. He's carving a path of destruction through this company. And he's come for each member of each former member of Next Dream so far, right? He had already, he had already dispatched Yuma. Um, and he had said very clearly that he was like, he was coming in like to go after these guys. Um, he had gotten into it with Jake um, in that tag match. He had destroyed um, Hokuto Amori. Like he was very clearly like, carving this path of destruction through the company. There's a lot of anger there. He's working as an outsider, forcing his way in through the company. Um, so this didn't surprise me at all. I mean, the length surprised me. I thought they were going to go longer. And that's what I would have hoped for because I've been waiting for the singles confrontation for a long time. But in its execution, no, it doesn't surprise me. And I think that the formatting of this actually works because to me, it's this very underutilized thing in pro wrestling that can work really well. Noah has done this very effectively with people like Keno and Katsukiko Nakajima, where you have these like sudden flash endings to matches that work really well when you're watching something like UFC MMA, um, because these two guys got in the ring and you know shit happens and the better man won in that moment and that's all it is so yeah to me it works in that way it makes me always think of shit like um uh jose aldo versus conor mcgregor and how that worked out when they fought aldo was the champion and conor mcgregor comes in and like knocked him out in 20 seconds and it shocked the world that's that type of win um that you're seeing here from naya nomura that's how you're supposed to feel you're supposed to be fucking floored this happened in the nippon budokan and it sets up nomura perfectly to face whoever the champion was going to be the next night at AJPW mania and what you're seeing in jake lee is um the deconstruction of jake lee we've been headed down that path for a while now and we'll talk about how Total Eclipse is now, you know, dead. But we're seeing the deconstruction of Jake Lee so that he can become something else. And that's important. It's going to put Jake Lee on a different path. I was actually tremendously excited coming out of this because um, it leaves both Nomura and Jake Lee with tremendous possibilities moving forward. Sorry for that very passionate and long-winded stream of thoughts about this match, but I was surprised at the reactions to it because I think that there is so much here for both of those guys. Yeah. And I think that's what people are missing. And that was beautifully said. All of it was beautifully said. You never need to apologize. Yeah. I think that's what a lot of people are missing out of this is that this isn't the end for Jake Lee. This is so far from the end. It's actually insane to think it is that you're right. This, all the signs have been pointing towards this deconstruction and towards Jake Lee suffering and us wanting to see him climb up. That's always been his greatest ability in the ring and um, just his ability to connect to the crowd and gain that sympathy, that empathy, and just want to see him succeed. And they're doing the right thing by putting him in these, you know, situations where he's getting beaten down by, you know, former teammate. And it's, 
it's painful and it makes Nauya really, really compelling. And it makes Jake really compelling. And uh, yeah, this is just very far from the end for Jake Lee. Like we're, we're looking at, uh, to quote Jesse, his uh, Rocky Royal Road, and it's just going to continue and it's, it's going to smooth out eventually. And when it does, it's going to be something really, really special. So we really need to keep an eye on that one. To add another wrinkle to all this, do you think that this was going to be the same plan if we had before uh, Joe's unfortunate illness with um, Joe Doring uh, being out? I hope he, hope he gets better soon and uh, just can kick Kansas us for the second time. But um, yeah, was this a plan for Joe Doring all along? Do you think maybe Joe Doring would have quickly hit that crossbody that he does and pin him quickly? I don't know. Like, I. Like, like to kind of backtrack, I don't even really know what would have happened between Nomura and Jake going back into Royal Road, right? I think what I had thought then is that Nomura was going to get in and face Kento for the conclusion of Royal Road and that Kento would beat Nomura there, which still would have left Jake free and clear to fight Joe. I don't know how they would have utilized Joe in that role at the Budokan. I don't actually think that he would have gotten the flash win over Jake there, but it's possible that they would have. I think no matter what, with Total Eclipse ending, and again, we'll, we'll keep talking about that. I think no matter what, with Total Eclipse ending, we would still have started to see the, de- the deconstruction of Jake Lee. I just think that all of these different miss, all of these different unfortunate things that have happened with Nomura getting sick, with Joe needing to take time off to fight cancer again, and then all of these matches sort of getting shifted around, I think it just sort of moved around the plans for Jake in a different way than we would have potentially seen them. I don't know that the the, the match between Joe and, and um, Jake would have been inherently anything more than just sort of this wonderful exhibition match, but I could be wrong. That's just my, my feeling. I don't think it would have been this quick. I think this time, 48 seconds or whatever it was is perfect for Nomura but it wouldn't work for Joe especially because he's coming from overseas he's not a regular in Japan or all Japan like Nomura is yeah I think it was a pivot but I think it was a really really good pivot and um, I think they were always planning sort of this flash you know win for Naoya over Jake I think it was tailor-made for which Alicia had mentioned it's tailor-made for these two and it wouldn't have been tailor-made for Joe and Jake. And that's that's just how it is. And it would have been a wonderful match. And, you know, like I said, like you said, Jonathan, when he kicks cancer uh, for a second time, he's going to come back and we're going to get that wonderful match. But um, it's I, I really have to agree that it's just too tailor-made for Nalia and Jake specifically. It just fits too well. And I think it was a pivot, but I think it was a really, really, really good one. I think this match also adds to Jake's story, like um, Alicia and Rachel, you were saying, like the deconstruction of Jake, that he's always second best this year. He was runner-up for Champions Carnival, runner-up for Royal Road, and now he's runner-up to be the number one contender. So this really works into his story. And another point I want to make is Nomura's pants. I feel like he just walked out into the arena with like forgot his gear or something. He's just wearing camo pants. It was, it was awkward. Dreadful. It, it just, it didn't work for, you know, I guess what I sort of see his character as, and I, I just, I did not like them. Go ahead, Jonathan. 
I've been uh, not a fan of this look for Namura. I want his old all Japan look back. Like I, I, I know that's not the character he's playing right now though. And this is all in aid of that character and that wider purpose and stuff. It's just, you know, I really want them to seal the deal on his return, but then I also want them to actually, you know, seal the deal on his return and get him back um, full time. Two thoughts. I will talk about this more when we get into AJPW mania. This is never ending, but I did put him and Kento's 2019 match on right after I watched their main in AJPW mania. And I like desperately wish he just put the fucking red shorts back on. Stop wearing pants. That would be really ideal. And then to Jesse's point about Jake being second best. I mean, this is an interesting group in where you can make like these very like cut and dry sort of callbacks to the four pillars. Um, and if you really want to go to the power five, you can do that too. Like Jake is meant to be in the Kawada role and that's where he shines and that's what we're going to, I think, continue to see as this stuff evolves, but more conversations for a different day. In the main event was a Triple Crown Championship match. Kento Miyahara defeated Suama in 16 minutes and 35 seconds to become the new Triple Crown Champion. Kento joins Aski in new big match gear and I thought he looked great. I love the feathers. I love the extra gold on his outfit. It just suits him to a T. Stan Hansen and Kento Kobashi were out next as special guests. And Outlast was Suama and a studded up Taru. Basically, this was the best of Suama versus Kento crammed into 16 minutes. There was no voodoo murders interference, which I absolutely loved. The closest thing we got was uh, Stan Hansen, Suama stare down with like Suama raising his fist. He's not going to punch Stan. He won't punch Wada. He won't hit Stan. I think it was good, but they've had better. I think their champion carnival match this year was better, but that was a 30-minute draw, so they had so much more time. I don't know if this was planned, but I love that Kento hit the shutdown suplex right in the center of the ring and that Wada was the ref for this match. He deserved this match. He hasn't been refereeing uh, triple count matches lately, so it was good to see him back in this role. Yeah, I, I agree with pretty much everything you said. Like They've had many better matches than this. But that wasn't really the point. I think, like, again, like, this this show is interesting because pretty much all these matches, except for, like, maybe the tags, like, there are other All Japan matches that happened this year that would make, like, my top 10 before most of these matches, right? But it's the moments on this show that mattered. And to me, it's, like, the image of Suwama walking down the ramp at Budokan with the triple crown on his waist, like... That holds so much meaning. This is a man who has been the ace of this company for many, many years, um, who has led this company through like times where like they didn't know if they were going to be a company through like the most like fucked up management and behind the scenes, like chaos and bullshit. Dr. Jonathan just released a book about all of that. Actually, you can pick that up. But there's like so much to be said for Suwama getting to have that, um, that moment of being champion and walking down the ramp in the Budokan. And I'm really grateful to have to know that he's had it and to have been able to watch that. Like that moment was significant. And I also really did love like that moment of him, like conf- confronting um, Stan Hansen and like Stan, like standing up, like Stan's an older man that still looked fucking cool. Like that was awesome. That rocked. Um, even like when Taru got involved, like it didn't matter because like Stan and Suama looked so cool, like confronting each other. I was, yeah, it was awesome. But to your point, like uh, this was fine. I definitely felt like the champion carnival draw was like the much better match if you're looking for a Suwama and Kento match from this year. But like you can go back and watch other Kento and Suwama matches that are much better from like just their you know time of singles matches. It seems somewhat more clear to me that they really wanted that feel good moment of Kento overcoming the odds and defeating Suwama 
in the Budokan to become champion again, rather than him carrying the belt into the Budokan like we assumed he would do. I still don't think I agree with how they got there, but it did make sense in the end for it to come down to these two. And I'm just pretty grateful um, the gate demonstrated why you can't count these two out. Yeah, I um, <clears throat> I agree entirely that um, in all of this, one of the things that was a rumor that was floating around was that NTV were closely watching this match in particular, that they wanted to see something good out of this. And I think if you look at the pressure on them, you know, all Japan's first show in the Budokan in 18 years, the NTV broadcasting it, a major sponsor in, I'm sure I'm mispronouncing this, but Rakuen, the ticketing Mm -hmm. company, um, kind of similar to Amazon. They've got a lot of money and they were watching this closely as well. So all that pressure on them to deliver. I don't know anyone else that could have gone into that situation as well poised as these two guys. I think that that was in the end of the reason why um, they were given the nod there for the main event. I think it's because of all that pressure. And I think they performed well uh, considering all that pressure that was on them. Um, Only other note is I really enjoyed if you watch the NTV version of this one that was on their uh, channel, uh, you get to see the old school All Japan intros with them backstage before they walk out. And that's not on the All Japan TV version. It's just a little thing, but it just restored so much. And I think that looked great. Um, yeah, I, I had nothing uh, wrong otherwise with this match, apart from Taru being out there. Um, he detracts from everything that he's added to. But apart from that, um, he at least didn't interfere or anything. So that was good. I did find it funny, uh, speaking of the entrances, how short Kento's was comparatively to every other entrance Kento has ever done in his life. Um, and that that's where I really feel like they had to cut for time. Um, and that was pretty great. But no, um, it, it was just a good match. They did a really good job with the time constraints and with everything that they needed to do. And I think Alicia was really right that our aim here was to just solidify give that feel-good moment and solidify the future of AJPW in the Budokan and and that's what the match set out to do and that's what it did and I I really liked it day five was the 19th at Korokan Hall Kuma Arashi and Koji Doi defeated Izanagi and Black Menso Ray in just under three minutes it's very nice to see Doi and Kuma back they announced that they'll be going after the world tag team championships I said Nagata and Voodoo Murders minus Kona were on this card. So are you telling me we could have had Kuma Doi on these cards the last few months the entire time? Kind of bizarre, <laughs> right? But I did miss them. And this was short and to the point. Just needed to get them back in the ring and screaming again. And boy, did they scream. <laughs> it was really, it was, it was really nice um, to see them, to hear them back. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited for his, their tag challenge. And that's, that's really the big thing here is that they're back and they're ready to challenge. And and that was what was exciting about that match was what came after. And that's them announcing that they are they are here, at least to stay for now. Asuka Uyagi, Cyrus, and Christopher Daniels defeated Yoshitatsu, Rising Haito, and Chijiri in 11 minutes and 44 seconds. I thought this was a pretty fun little match. Daniels yelling at everyone to moonsault was pretty funny. And we got Asuka's first challenger, which is Rising Haito. Also, we say goodbye to Daniels and Cyrus as they both go back to America. Cyrus backstage says when he returns, he wants to tag with Suji. We'll be getting a little bit more into the tag league stuff a little bit later this year, but I would welcome um, them being a team for tag league if that's where they're headed. Yeah, that would be really, really cool. 
Um, I thought this match was fun. I liked that Daniels was putting over Otsky at every single moment of the way, as uh, as anyone should. If, if I were standing next to Otsky, I would also constantly be pointing at him. So that was a very relatable moment. Uh, yeah, I thought this match was was perfectly fine. Not the strongest, but it was it was fun and it was a nice little send off, especially for Cyrus, who's sort of endeared himself with the audience. And yeah, I'd, I'd like to see him back and I'd like to see him tagging in uh, Real World Tag League. It was very clear that we're headed towards Atsuki versus Hayato, but I am very weary of that. I just feel like that's one that I would have wanted them to build to rather than to make it Atsuki's first offense because I view them as like a like a true rivalry. So I would have wanted them to have a little bit more time to breathe with that one, but I get it. I just feel like, you know, it's a first offense. So it's more likely that Atsuki's going to retain and I want him to retain, but I also don't love that like Hayato is going to be like the first offense loss in that way, if that makes sense. So yeah, I don't know. I just wish that had more build to it, I guess. I agree entirely, but there is also something to be said for it being the first offense and, and this important rivalry being the first defense because then you sort of have this build back up where Hayato might work his way through and work his way back to Otsuki if they play their cards right and have him take the bell or challenge again there's a lot of ways that this could work so um yeah I'm I'm weary but I'm also really optimistic Tiger Mask defeated Black Tiger in seven minutes and 13 seconds. All I have to say about this match is please let this be the last we see of any Tigers in all Japan for a while. At the end of the match, we saw an attempt to unmask Black Tiger and kind of it didn't go ahead. It kind of the mask went halfway off there. Who's under that mask? I've seen the name, but I don't remember offhand. I've seen people say it, but I just don't know. Is it Takawa? to Kaiwa? I think maybe. That's what a lot of people are saying. Yeah. But I wouldn't know for sure. Yeah. That's the only thing I want to find out. Apart from that, it's um like Takaiwa was in last year's Junior Battle of Glory and was amazing in that. And so I'd love to see him just as himself because when someone plays one of these characters, they can't do their own spots because they don't want to give away who it is. So their wrestling suffers for that. And I think he could do well if he unmasks and just is in there as himself. Dan Temra and Yuji Nagata defeated Takao Amore in Rio Inue in six minutes and 19 seconds. Dan looked a bit awkward with the belt, but I absolutely loved it. We can't all be Kentos and look like the belt is actually made for us. He'll get there one day. I still have some issues with Nagata, but I do like him in the role as this kind of unofficial evolution member. Like he just comes to help out Dan. He comes to help out Sato. But that's it. I don't want him anywhere new belts. <laughs> yeah, this was um, this was pretty good. I thought Dan looked great. It's like... This is another, um, I'm not going to call it a purgatory tag, but this is a tag that I feel like, you know, we've seen on this tour and other tours, but otherwise, like, it works, it works pretty well, and it's fun to watch. I've been to purgatory, hell, the Budokan, just all the kind of levels of the afterlife here. (laughs) Minoru Suzuki defeated Yuma Anzai in five minutes and 37 seconds. First, Nagata announced Suzuki Anzai is having a rough debut week. This was basically five minutes of submissions. He held on for a long time and he looked as good as he could. He did a really good job with the baby face or fired up and getting the crowd just really, really uh, into him. 
there's a lot of promise there. So I, th- I think it was a good showing and I think it's about what you could want from a uh, Suzuki murders a young boy kind of match. And, and yeah, it established um, Anzai as something that um, the Nagata match too, of course, uh, established him as something that uh, the crowd really wants to keep an eye on. So I think that was, I think it was successful. I'll put it that way. But I, I actually did like that match a lot. Suji Ishikawa, Jake Lee, Yuma Oyagi, and Hokuto Amore defeated Toshizo, Suwama, Taru, and Minoru in 11 minutes. And finally, after putting up for months with Buddha murders and having to sit through three pointless title reigns with one still happening, they're finally falling apart. Jake Lee didn't really seem like himself when he came out. He didn't have the fancy coat. He took a lot of deep breaths before pointing upwards probably playing off the loss the night before. But what I wanted to see from him is just like completely lose it. Like go after Suwama. Suwama's the one that took him be- his belt. Go after Voodoo Murders. They helped Suwama take his belt. I just want Jake to lose it and just go crazy on Voodoo Murders. That's that's really what I want. Yeah, that's super fair. And I think we may see that yet. It'll be interesting to see where he lands character-wise, but he's such an introspective person. I'm never surprised <laughs> when he comes out and he's just fucking moody (laughs) he was just like real moody to kick this one off because of the loss the night before so yeah so that's where he was at uh yeah I'm super attached to uh Toshizo Minoru Suwama and Kondo when he shows up now so that's where I'm at with with voodoo murders um I just don't want to see Taru or Kono so this match worked for me in that way um, just don't want to see Taru, <laughs> but I actually, I did like it. I thought that like Jake and Yuma had good exchange exchanges with Suwama, um, in the middle of the match, both of them do have bones to pick with him. So I did think that was really good. And obviously the big high point of this match is seeing like Taru and Suwama argue in the middle of the match and that argument, uh, continue outside of the match. What I thought was really interesting is that uh, Toshizo immediately like got in there like separated them and like got Suwama away and like dragged him away but like Minoru didn't like necessarily get involved and he kind of like stayed over on like Taru's side so it's going to be interesting to see like what they're going to actually do with this and it's it also was interesting to be reminded and maybe like I, I don't know why I necessarily wasn't thinking about this this entire time but like I guess because of the way that I view Suwama I forgot that like Suwama really isn't the leader of Voodoo Murders. It's Taru. Um, and it's always been Taru. And I guess I thought that would have maybe switched today because of Suwama being who he is in All Japan now, being the older ace and ha- having been champion at this point. Like I thought he would be calling the shots. He's not actually calling the shots. Like Taru is still calling the shots for them in Voodoo Murders, which is really interesting. So I'm just fascinated to see like these cracks beginning to form and where this is going to kind of land with them I don't know if like Minoru not like going over with Toshizo and Suwama means anything or not um or if he just didn't feel like wandering over to the other side of the ring with them but it's really interesting so yeah this was this is actually a pretty good tag match for me which is lacking a whole lot of like the charm from some of the other big multi-mans that we've seen yeah it was it was exciting I, I thought it was just so funny that uh Jesse cannot wait to see voodoo murders uh, break up and then Alicia you're 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 attached now you've uh you've found yourself attached to this unit haven't you yeah I don't actually like I want like Taru and Kono to go away because like they're not adding anything and whatever but like I don't mind 
Suama staying in this role. I don't mind the others staying around. Like, I think the others do add something to the wrestling. I know that Jesse's like biggest thing. And like, I've complained about this too, is like all the interference is not fun. Like that drags, but like, there's also been some examples of tags where like they've interfered a little bit less and they've actually wrestled a little bit more. And it's usually when people like Taru aren't fucking around. So like, if we just got rid of those people and just had like the good Voodoo Murders members, like then maybe you know, we could get something going here, but I don't mind it. I mean, I've just sort of grown accustomed to them at this point. I've, I've given up resisting voodoo murders. What, what about you, Jonathan? Are you a uh, pro <laughs> voodoo murder or are you um, ready for them to break up? Uh, so uh, at this point, they could just have someone show a picture of Taru and say Taru died on his way back to his home planet. And I think that would be a fitting end to his role in all Japan. Um, basically there was someone who I can't remember who, and I'm sorry uh, to the user here um, for not being able to remember who this was, but someone suggested just imagine if we had this same angle, but instead of it being Buju murders, it was actually Suwama bringing back the old guys from the Muto years to see which generation was better. And then you've got Suwama versus Kento has this intergenerational angle. And instead, I just feel like this is just a giant step backward to like, I, I like the Muto years. Um, and yes, that's what my, my, my latest book is about more on that later. Um, but basically I like the Muto years, but I did not like the Voodoo Murder stuff. And I think that's just the worst stuff that they could have brought back from that. In my opinion, um, it's not super upsetting or anything like that. It's not, you know, ruining the company, but yeah, just given what Taru did and given kind of the sorts of uh, things that people associate with him, I just think it's a net negative to have him around. But, you know, like if they end this angle soon enough, I don't think it will be something that drags the company down or anything like that. I don't want to be overly dramatic here. It's just they, they could have just presented all this better, in my view. Well said. Very, very well said. I mean, we had Muto at the, um, at the Budokan doing the uh, announcing for the junior heavyweight title match and later on uh i saw him there for the triple crown and he could have been the the mastermind behind all this you know he could be the the higher power it could be me the whole, like, yeah it was it was me all along we already have enough mudo going on in, in my <laughs> <laughs> done with mudo for now <laughs> uh, it'll be done with mudo soon no i i do think it would have been sweet to have him you know there in the you know have a little bit of a role going on but it was good to have him at the Budokan so I think that was a fitting bit for the 50th anniversary and I think we're we're good after that but uh yeah go ahead Jesse uh, I was just gonna say um something I forgot I think it's interesting that Suama was the one who got pinned and he got pinned so easy if you see Suji's pin attempt it was very very weak and I had a thought if Rumors kick out Suama and he goes back to evolution. Do you think they'll say they'll take him? Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. That's the, that's the story of evolution. Like they would take him back immediately because they're fucking weird. Like that's, <laughs> that's, that's the story of evolution. Like they, they would take him back immediately in the same way they've taken back like other people who have left. Yeah, they would. I like maybe like what'll happen is they'll kick out Suwama and then all the good members of Voodoo Merge will go to evolution. And then Voodoo Merge can just be Taru and Kono. And that's that. Japan. Yeah. <laughs> and then it like becomes a bunch of old men and Dan. I mean, the way that this faction operates is always so weird, but I um whenever I'm on uh 
sort of Dylan's podcast, I always try to shoehorn in there that evolution is a mystery. They are a bit of a mystery. They have a very odd history and very odd dynamics. And that's because like Suwama is a very like, he has a very interesting personality and the way that like he interacts with people and like his leadership style. So like, yeah, they they are a bit of a mystery. (laughs) But like, that's why it would also make (laughs) complete and total sense that like Suwama would get exercised tomorrow. He's no longer the evil executive director. He's suddenly just regular Suwama and he just immediately goes right back into evolution. So yeah, I could see it. World Tag Team title match was next. Shoto Oshino and Ruki Honda defeated Jun Sato and Rei Sato in 12 minutes. When they came out this challenge the night before, I honestly thought, okay, this is the end of Honda and Oshino's reign. So I was really surprised they won. I think the Saitos did good here. Their chops and slaps sound so painful. And we had Doin Kuma come out to challenge, and that's going to be a big Wrestle 1 reunion. Yeah, I thought this was fine. I think the Saito brothers really did their best, and they did, I think, better than anyone could have expected them to do. I really did think that they did rather well. They, they try really fucking hard. And I was genuinely concerned that they were going to go over Honda and Ashino. I've been predicting that for a long time. I thought they were going to go over in the Budokan. And then um, I thought they were certainly going to go over here when they challenged. But I am glad that I was wrong um, only because like the Saitos are just not quite ready. And also like Honda and um, Ashino don't need to be dethroned just yet. But I'm so excited about Kuma and uh, Doi challenging like that'll be really fun I'm worried about them because uh they tend to be those people too who like they don't ever win (laughs) you know what I mean like they just they they never win and like that sucks and like they've been away for a while so that's going to be really interesting and they and they deserve to win they deserve to be in the company full-time and they deserve to win but they're in a weird spot too because again like we're going to talk about it when we eventually get there but like there's no more total eclipse so they're kind of an island unto themselves right now as well so It'll be interesting to see how that those dynamics play out when they're uh, they're facing uh, Honda and Ashino. Do you think there's a chance they'll join GOA? God, I hope not. I feel like that would be like GOA's. That would just be kind of make it a bloated faction. I think. I don't know if GOA mm. needs any more people or to be any larger. I don't. I don't know where you would put them right now, but I also don't know how I feel about them joining GOA. What do you guys think, Jonathan Jesse, about them joining? Yeah, if they joined, uh, what what do you think about them joining GOA? It's weird because, like, they are, like, a part of, like, Ashuna's career and his, his other factions. And I know, like, they're friends and stuff. But at the same time, I kind of don't want them joining because, like, Alicia said, like, it'll be, it'll be too much. But where else will they go? Like, what other factions are there for them to join? Right. Yeah, I think um, you kind of always want to get the mileage uh kind of out of the faction as it is right now like it's relatively new i think you're going to got to get those guys over i don't think you should be adding at the moment in the triple crown title match kento miyahara defeated naoya namora in 20 minutes and 24 seconds the video package before this match was fantastic i absolutely loved it kento walking out with a triple crown just looks right it's made for him the all japan belts are made for him they just suit him so well this match was already great, but it went up another notch when it hit the second half. Nomura's elbows are so deadly and just so beautiful. They look insane. There was a couple of times I was sure we'll get in the third zero defense in a row and Nomura was winning this match. Kendo is the worst because he has perfected the art of kicking out at 299. It freaks me out every single time. I hate it so much. 
And I said on Twitter, it's crazy that Nomura left All Japan last year and now we have him wrestle in a Triple Crown match. And after we had Takao Omori come out to challenge next. Yeah, I think I'm extremely close to snapping and paying someone to translate the Jake Kento video package and the Naoya Kento one now too, because they were both like, they look outstanding and I'm just dying to know all the details of what they said. I would be um, fascinated on that. So yeah, this match was, um, this match was incredible. This was so much better than anything that was on the card before in the Budokan. <laughs> so there's that. It was just, it really was outstanding. Their work on the outside was really great. Nomura is um, so brutal with those elbows and his forearms. Like he's just like, it, it's, it's insane. His athleticism is insane, especially on like those double frog splashes. The close near fall on Naoya's spear after the ref bump was also like just fucking crazy. So yeah, this match was, was crazy. I, I wanted to, there was definitely callbacks to the 2019 match, their September 2019 match, and particularly around like the very ending, they, Kento won the same way. In the 2019 match, Kento gets him up for the shutdown suplex much, much quicker and ends that match that way. And this, like he had to struggle to get Naoya up um, and over for the shutdown suplex to win. And it just leaves you with that feeling that like, and, and also I think the one thing to keep in mind too, like they have 11 singles matches since I think 2014 and now he has won zero of them. Kento has defeated him uh-huh. each time. So to see Kento struggle to get this win, like he had to fight to put Naoya down in this match. It just leaves you with that feeling of like, oh my God, like the next time Naoya gets in the ring with him, Naoya's going to fucking win. And like, that's so special and cool to get that sense that like Naoya is only getting that much closer to defeating Kento, um, which tends to be key around these parts to moving forward in all Japan and then potentially to becoming um, triple crown champion, which is really special. I thought the fist bump too was really fascinating and um not what I and so I, I kind of go both ways I kind of expected them to do something like that and I kind of didn't because Naoya has been like pure rage since coming back with like this axe to grind against the company and against like the former next stream members but then to see them like share that moment together that real acknowledgement that Kento passed to Naoya is special and significant because Kento picks and chooses his moments of when he does things like that. He wouldn't shake Yuma's hand after Yuma unsuccessfully challenged him after Champion Mm -hmm. Carnival, but he fist bumped Naoya Nomura after Nomura couldn't win against him there. And those moments matter. And it says a lot about how Kento feels about people. And there's a lot to the why of, um, of, of when and when and why and how Kento, Kento chooses to have those moments with people. So yeah, I think that's, uh, I thought all that was absolutely fascinating. Yeah, I'm kind of a bit torn here over where this one sits because my match of the year is either this one or the match that Kento had against Ishikawa on Champions Night 3 or Champions Night 4 with Jake. Kento's been on a tear this year, and it's definitely one of those three. Yeah, I'm totally with you. I'd also put up Jake and Yuma in the Champion Carnival final um, yep. as, like, another outstanding match. Like, that's the the one thing I can say. Like, it, uh, however you feel about Budokan and how everything turned out in the end, like, there is not a shortage of, of standout singles matches to choose from in this company when we're talking about the best matches of the year or some of the best matches that have happened in Puro, period. And that is, you know, I think an achievement in and of itself. 
I am curious though, because I know I, many of you have watched it here, but did anyone feel any particular way about this match with Naoya and Kendo compared to that September 2019 match, which is like a classic? Did anyone feel like this one surpassed that one or have any particular feelings or thoughts around that? I think they work quite well together. Yeah, if you watch them like one after the other, you get to see the callbacks and things like that. Um, I, I more looked at it that way rather than trying to say which was the better of the two matches. Yeah, I honestly need to watch the 2019 one again. I can't remember most of it. All I remember is it was bloody good. Jonathan actually has to go a little early, but he's going to tell us a little bit about his new book that's just come out before he does. So thanks for having me on. And it's great to talk here about the Budokan. I'm hoping that this is the first of many and that we get to see all Japan return back to the Budokan. Uh, if you want to follow me, I'm on Twitter at Jonathan Foy. Uh, I've got a new book out. We've mentioned this before, which looks at the Muto years of All Japan. So when Keiji Muto was All Japan president and then later on All Japan's board. Uh, so from 2002 to 2013 and the controversy and all the ups and downs. I had a great cover there by Mushkula and a fantastic uh, forward to that one uh, as well by Justin Nipper. So please check that out. The digital version's out now and I'm hoping to have the print version out next week if anyone's wanting a paperback uh, copy. So uh, yeah, thanks for having me again and uh, yeah, please do go and check that out. Up next, we have September Moments. And if you remember last month, we talked about the little 3D Sawama figure. They are on sale. You can buy one, but it is extremely pricey. It will cost you 41,000 yen, but if you are on with the entrance coat, that will cost you 63,000 yen. Wow. It is very expensive, but I desperately want one. Like I said earlier in the episode, Suji has really been the MVP of promoting the Budokan show. On one night, he and Black Manso Ray worked up until 6 a.m. selling tickets and promoting the show. Suji definitely needs a bonus this month. Legacy 2 has been announced, and some All Japan wrestlers have made the card. Kento Miyahara will team with Shiro Koshinaka and Kota Minura to face Shima Ayagi, Hideki Suzuki, and Madoka Kikuta. Jake Lee will face Kengo Mashimo. After AJPW Mania, Jake Lee said on Twitter that Total Eclipse has officially disbanded. Former members Koji Doi and Kuma Arashi took to Twitter to post photos of their now old Total Eclipse gear in memoriam of the faction. So what's coming up in October? October is the start of the commemorative series. There have already been a couple of title matches announced. On the second, we have Ashino and Honda versus Doi and Kuma for the world tag titles. The Agora TV title will be defended when Toshizo faces Dan Tamora. Dan has the chance to become a double champion here. Asuki will put his junior title on the line against Ryzen Haito. On the 23rd, when All Japan returns to Giant Baba's hometown, we have all Asia title match between Sato and Dan versus Kodama and Tachibana. And lastly, the triple crown match between Kento and Takao Amore. Smiling Wizard asks, since All Japan has such high hopes for the Satos and Anzai, which faction should they go to? Uh, this is an interesting question. I think like Anzai, I have like two schools of thought immediately. Like he is a student of Suwama and would look good in evolution inherently, but with mm. Suwama not being there, it's kind of weird. Like it would look better if Suwama was there. So I think that Anzai is actually a really great fit for Kento and Next Stream. So that's where I would put him right now. The Saitos are interesting. I have no idea what to do with them. <laughs> um, 
they're like another group or another twosome that like because they're kind of weird they might do really well in evolution as it is right now like to put them with sato and dan so i'm gonna say saito's to evolution to make them a faction again and i'll say next stream for anzai i had the opposite way actually <laughs> i said give anzai suama's old position in evolution just say like he surpassed suama suama isn't needed anymore we have anzai and I said, give the Saito to next stream because Kento needs some friends. He has no more friends anymore. Yeah, I think um, I, I sided with Alicia initially, but then as Alicia was talking, I started thinking about Anzai going to Voodoo Murders and us pulling the uh, the old make an ace by turning him evil and then uh, have him, you know, betray everyone heroically and climb his way up to the company from there. Cause I mean, it worked for what? Soama and Kento. So why not? Let's do it again. Um, let's put Anzai underneath his mentor in Voodoo Murders. How about that? It did no. work. It did work for uh, it did. and Kento. So, but yeah, definitely. I want to see um, the twins over in evolution. It just feels right to me. They're, they're just kind of weirdos, but uh Next stream would be fun to give uh, Kento someone to, to hang out with. That would be a fun image too, with uh, both of them sort of flanking Kento and then uh, Hayato just sort of prettying it up and flaunting right in front of them. Zaki asks, where does Jake Lee go from here after his admittedly shocking defeat to Namora at the Budokan? Up. Everywhere, no. but definitely up and definitely forward. Yeah, I think, like I said before, he's we're, we're looking at the deconstruction of Jake Lee. So Jake said on Instagram, some of the comments seem to think I'm quitting wrestling, so I dare say it. I have no intention of quitting wrestling. I know best that if I end up at this halfway point, the only thing that will remain is regret. All I could think about is how I will fight. I'm reminded a lot of kind of where he was when he genuinely left All Japan in 2011. He ended up like hitting a wall. He left, and then all he was left with was regret, and that's why he came back. Um, and I think he's sort of maybe, maybe intentionally kind of calling back to some of those feelings. So I think what you see from here is that he just goes up. Um, I can't really say what that's going to look like from here. He's definitely in Hantai right now. I'm interested to see where that continues to take him, but I'm excited to, um, to see what comes from here now that we're finally laying total eclipse to rest. Um, I think that's kind of been evident for the past several weeks that that's kind of been done um but now that we have the official like total eclipse is done he can end this chapter and move on and go on to the next thing and lastly Raphael Lehman asks who is going to be Kento's tag league partner I don't know why but my first thought was no more after the fist bump but really thinking about it like I I don't know he's lost Yuma Yuma's probably gonna tag with Jake I thinking mm-hmm. like off the top of my head no more is the only one I can think of right now. I had said to Rachel that I thought like one of the things that could come of their their match at AGPW Mania is that they end up being tag partners in uh in real world tag. Like I still think that that's a possibility. Like the the fist bump to me is not it, the, those things don't usually happen in a bubble for Kento, right? So I think there's a distinct possibility of that occurring. But I think that like uh, Takuya Nomura could be a, a distinct possibility as well to get him in the tournament. They've had really interesting chemistry this year, him and Kento. Um, so like that would be like, if we weren't going to get the connection with Naoya Nomura, 
um, and he wasn't going to come in with real blood because I think that that's also a possibility is that real blood will be in real world tag league, which I'd like to see. I think that Takuya Nomura would be a great choice for Kendo. They have like crazy good chemistry and that would just be really interesting for Kendo, I think. Yeah, Takuya Nomura is my biggest wish. I think it would just be really, really fun and funny and it would play up some of the best parts of Kento and it would just be a really good team. They'd have a lot of really great matches, um, but storyline wise, yeah, Naoya would be an amazing choice. Like it feels like the most obvious. It feels like the correct choice um, just for the laughs. Uh, I want to see Takia. I think it would be really good. And like Alicia said, you can't beat their chemistry. So either of the Nomuras, but in my heart, it has to be a Nomura. And to extend on this question, do you have any other predictions for tag league teams? Certainly Cyrus and Shuji. I don't know what's going to happen with Suwama and Voodoo Merge. We'll see what happens with his conversations with Taru, but I'll be interested to see who he ends up with. I think the best thing for Suwama is to be with um, uh, Minoru or Kondo. Like, don't go in with Taru. Don't go in with Kono. Be with one of those guys because that would be a much better tag league for him i don't know if i have a lot of predictions per se yet i think the saito is definitely in abdullah kobayashi from bjw always pops up for tag league so i'm pretty sure he will be there who his partner will be i'm not sure a team from great would be great either from strong hearts or bulk orchestra that'll be really cool to see and maybe an extra get wild reunion <laughs> which would be fun yeah, I, that's that's where I was too I was about to say I wouldn't hate if Soya wanted to to show up and and do a tour just to see just to see if he likes it one more thing before we go it is a bit annoying but please don't make any videos of all Japan shows I made a video from the anniversary show and was contacted to say they don't allow that and please delete it as far as I know gifts are okay they were asked about gifts and they said as long as it has the hashtag AJBW, and also AJPW.TV, it's okay, and screenshots are fine. I usually hashtag my screenshot in case, but everything else has been fine so far. All Japan can be watched at AJPW.TV for 900 yen a month. Each tour has a mix of live and video-on-demand shows. Video-on-demand shows are uploaded the day after they were filmed, and in some cases, the same day. Thank you so much for listening and supporting Talking Triple Crown. You can find me on Twitter at SisterJesse and RoyalRoad72. You can find me, Alicia, at Chernuikai with two eyes. You can find me and Rachel at Kickout299. And please make sure that you subscribe and follow us on your preferred platform and leave us a review. That really helps us grow Talking Triple Crown and also Kickout, and we would really appreciate it. And you can always find me, Rachel, at Milky Star on Twitter. That's M-I-I-K-Y star. Thank you once again for listening, and we'll see you next month.